Angela Joyner, formerly a staff writer of the Stephenville Empire Tribune. Angela is known internationally for breaking the UFO sightings in Stephenville, Texas, in January of 2008. Angela appeared on Larry King Live and continues to do many interviews across the nation. With us, directly from Stephenville, Texas, Angela Joyner. Hello, Angela, and thanks for joining us on The Veritas Show. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, and thank you for having me on. Before I ask you for the latest Stephenville news, for those in the audience around the world who may not know who you are, just a few. Can you give us a quick recount of how it all started back in 2008? Yes. Um, in January 2008, I was contacted by Steve Allen, a local pilot, and um, he had he explained to me he was with three other people and had seen something that he he didn't know what it was. And uh, from there, I wrote the first story printed on uh, January the 10th, and uh, subsequently um, it went national and then international with just within a few days. So it became quite a quite a large story for this mass sighting we had in Stephenville. You said, and I quote, I don't want to say anything bad about the newspaper, and that's the Empire Tribune. I don't want to say anything bad about the newspaper. They're just interested. They're just not interested anymore. But it was a record sale month in the history of the Empire Tribune for January of 2008. Unquote. Not interested anymore when they had a record sale month sounds a bit conflicting to my business logic. What do you believe was a real reason that they dismissed you and they said they were it was an embarrassing story? Well, I think that the uh, publisher and editor um, got some mixed reviews from maybe uh, people with the city council or at the Chamber of Commerce. Um, they did, you know, things like we don't want to be the next Roswell and, and things like that. Um, I had given my notice because I had been asked to ignore the witnesses and not to speak with them anymore, and I didn't feel that I could do that, so I had given my notice, and then a week into my notice, they asked me to leave. So it was, a, it was not a comfortable place for me to be. How can you be a true journalist when you ignore your credible witnesses? Well, they felt that it was time to move on, and I just didn't feel like I could abandon those people because they had been thrust into the limelight just like I was. Um, we had news trucks everywhere, uh, lots of uh, folks still interested, and I was still the media contact, and I was still the witness contact, so I didn't really have a way to honor their wishes, even though I tried. I tried to uh, uh, put all of that attention to my after-hours time, and uh, it just didn't work out. So they let you go, but I heard they're now covering the story themselves. That's insincerity, duplicity, double standard, hypocrisy, or perhaps you really ask the right questions to the right people. Um, they did do a story back in October we had a, uh, a mass sighting again, and they they did do a story. But um, just a few days later, the reporter that did that story uh, put a piece on their opinion page that said she was forced to do the story and wasn't uh, uh, 
she was afraid it would ruin her fledgling career. So she wasn't, uh, to me that said, you know, there's a little bit of bias going on right there already. So I'm not sure um, how how they've handled that since, but I know they were getting a lot of phone calls and they felt pressured to do another story is, is my take on it. Someone who worked in Washington wrote a letter to the newspaper last year. And I quote, the media can be pressured to drop sensitive stories concerning UFOs, extraterrestrial life and fire employees who continue to pursue them. All it takes is a phone call from someone with a high national security clearance to the head of the media company who relays instructions down to the hierarchy. This is typically done secretly behind the scenes, so no one is left guessing as to what really happened. If this happened to the Empire Tribune, then the public deserves to know the truth, unquote. To when are in, have you come to your own conclusions as to why they terminated you and why they harassed a credible witness like Ricky Sorrells? Um, okay, now, who, who do you believe uh, was doing the harassing of Ricky Sorrells? Well, that's the that's question? the question. Uh, basically, to uh, the have you come to your own conclusion as to why they terminated you and why they harass a credible witness stated by this person who wrote to the newspaper? Apparently, some of your witnesses were being told to stop talking. Okay, Ricky Sorrells was told to stop talking, but we don't know um, exactly. You know, anybody can call you up and say, I'm with the Air Force, I'm Captain so-and-so. We didn't right. really have a way to to verify that, but um, somebody did call him and identify themselves as military, and um, Ricky had had a lot of trouble with black helicopters flying really low over his property. Um, he has a few head of cattle and uh, scaring his cattle. You know, you don't want your cattle run through fences. Sure. And um, they had a heated discussion on the telephone, and the man says, if you stop talking, you know, then we'll stop flying. And so Ricky did stop talking, and the helicopters uh, ceased. So he didn't talk again until uh, July the 11th, when we did the Larry King live show to right. uh, release the radar report. And we were a little concerned that all that might start up again, but it but it didn't. Um, yeah, he had some problems like that. He had a man come on his property in the middle of the night that he didn't know who he was. Um, he had uh, several things like that go on. Um now, I believe it's because Ricky had so much detail um, about what he saw. He's the only witness in our area that had a daytime sighting. Now, how are you now, and where are you now employed? I'm a free, freelance writer. I um, work uh, from home and uh, mostly as a correspondent for the Abilene Reporter News. Are you working on a book on the events that... Uh had so much impact in your life? Well, you know, so many people ask me that about a book. And um, I had thought early on I would do a book, and then when I really got down to it, I thought, uh, I don't know if this would uh, be a very interesting book. So I kind of dropped it. And then here lately I have sort of gotten an angle that I think I might 
try to work on one. Uh, we'll just have to see how that goes. You probably met uh, Dr. Linky Tai on the Phoenix Lights. She also wrote a book. Yes, and she just called me yesterday. That's funny you should mention her. She's a nice lady. Yes, she certainly is. I met her uh, last year. Have there been any more threats or any additional impact on your journalistic career? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I'm in a small town, so it's not like I can just, uh, you know, go to another newspaper and, and pick up where, where I left off. So, um, um, it's, uh, it's been an interesting year. Um, I'm not bitter about any of it. Um, it's been a good experience for me. I have met so many intelligent, smart, wonderful people in this field that otherwise I would have not, you know, I would have never known them. And, um, I, you know, I feel like it's just onwards and upwards and, and we'll just see where it leads me. Well, as they say, one door closes and many others open. Right. And, um, uh, I have gotten, gotten to do some traveling and, uh, do some speaking and, uh, and that has been uh, really eye-opening. Before this happened, Mel, I was not interested in UFOs at all. Um, if I had seen something on television or, you know, picked up a magazine that might have something in it, I'd think, well, that's interesting, and forget it. I didn't, uh, didn't concentrate on anything uh, like this. And um, I would say once the UFO bug bit me it got a big chunk (laughs) and and, uh i read daily about it and i've tried to learn the history you know the historical sightings um uh, tried to learn about those i depend on um a lot of people to kind of guide me through those grant cameron helps me and so does uh frank warren Uh, you probably know who they are sure and uh the UFO community really embraced me and uh, took me under their wing, and I, I really appreciate that um, because it was a rough road to hoe there for a while. I didn't really know what I had gotten into, and uh, it's 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 been really eye opening. Before you know, I think I probably was like other people. I think well. Yeah, UFOs, those people are, are a bunch of kooks. And then to find out they're very educated, uh, well-researched, well-spoken people, you know, it's just not the case at all. And then when I started receiving um, emails from places like Finland, Lebanon, Japan, all over the world, you know, I really didn't realize how large the UFO community is and and how these sightings do happen all over the world. So it's been a real education for me. And um, somebody, I think it was Grant Cameron, asked me the other day, would you do it again? Well, yes, I would. I miss my job at the newspaper, but uh, yes, I would do it again because it has, um, it's just made my world so much larger. What reaction have you received from your fellow journalists, those from your old newspaper, and those nation and worldwide? Well, some some journalists um, 
in the beginning, they said, how did you have the guts to do this story? <laughs> and um, um, I remember a lady from Channel 11 sat across the from my desk at the newspaper and asked me that very question. And I said, well, if you had been the one to answer the phone and talk to Steve Allen, he was so credible and um, well well spoken that um, I said, you might have done it too. And she said, no, I don't think I would have because um, this is sort of a topic that's difficult, difficult to do. Well, um, I started talking to other journalists, and um, uh, later on um, they told me they felt more comfortable reporting about it because I had reported about it without the tongue-in-cheek, um, I did more straight news story, no mention of little green men, um, flying saucers, and things like that. And um, for some, that that uh, opened uh, the way for, for them to be able to do the same thing. So if that's, you know, all it did, I'm happy about that, if they could report about it in a more serious manner. Um, I know Dr. Laurie Nadell, author of The Sixth Sense, um, she has a show, and she said she would have never done any kind of UFO stories until she read my stories. So in that respect, that made me feel good that that uh, people uh, felt more, the journalists felt more comfortable after I did those stories to report on them in a straightforward manner. Well, you're awakening people all over the world. How has this affected your family as well? Well, my family, um, my husband is very supportive. Um, he has an interest because he saw something here in the late 70s that he couldn't explain. So he already had an interest, unlike me. So he's been very supportive. Now, I have a teenage daughter, and she's kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, my mom, the the UFO reporter. <laughs> She's not as into it. <laughs> Sounds like my wife. <laughs> well, you know, teenagers are sort of from um, another world anyway, right? Right. So now, do you... my, Go ahead. My, my brother is uh, very interested, and he supports me. And uh, we go out uh, uh, sky-watching together to try and see things around in our area, my brother and I do. And uh, so mostly my family's supportive. Now, talking about some of the witnesses and some of the people involved in that incident, do you know Robert Powell, the director of research for MUFON? I know Robert quite well. Um, I'm the one that put uh, Glenn Schultz and he together to work on the radar report on Stephenville. Correct. I mean, I wanted to ask you, uh, have you seen those tapes or have you read the analysis? Yes. Um, I worked with them as it was being written, and um, I played a small role in that because sometimes people that are experts forget that the rest of us are not. And I would have to say, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to have to word this another way so that someone like me can understand, you know, what this means. Right. So um, I think that we worded it so that it's really quite easily read by anyone, not just people in the uh, radar uh, field. 
And um, it's a very uh, enlightening report. It proves that um, there really was, it's hard evidence that there was something here on January the 8th because it ties eight witnesses in time and direction to an unknown found on that radar. One of the objects was observed or actually vectored toward the Bush compound at Crawford. The object was heading directly towards President Bush's ranch in Crawford, Texas. Surely the Secret Service and State Police, Texas Rangers, had all to be responding, assuming someone was aware. Did someone call out the F-16s to intercept? You know, um, the F-16s, there were 10 F-16s located in that radar data. And it appeared as though none of those F-16s were paying attention to this object flying without a beacon into uh, a no-flight zone. At 8 o'clock, the unknown was 10 miles from the Crawford no-flight zone. And um, in light of 911, the new uh, uh, Office of Homeland Security, uh, that has raised some questions for us. Uh, Robert and I have... Uh, uh, been working on letters, and we, we sit to Homeland Security and say, you know, how can this happen that this thing was completely ignored, or you know, it wasn't picked up? Either way, why why wasn't something done? And um, we're still waiting uh, for responses on that. What do you think is the significance of the closeness to the compound, and what was the local Texas? take on the aspect or any officials she interviewed or you interviewed well early on i had people asking me um what about crawford um do you think something was going on there so i did um do a little research and i found out that uh president bush was not at crawford the night of january the 8th um he was getting ready to go out of the country but he wasn't there um you know, all of that is just, uh, all we can do is speculate on uh, why there was something uh, actually going towards, you know, you would almost have to assume that it did fly into that uh, no-flight zone since at 8 o'clock it was only 10 miles away. So, um, you know, some people have even thought, well, <laughs> it's something E.T. that landed there and talked to Cheney, but... You know, we'll probably never know, but um, I, I don't, I don't know. There's also a nuclear plant here, not here, but in Glenrose. It's about 40 miles from here that people feel um, something. Uh, there could be an attraction there. There's a wind turbine farm not far, so there's several things that people have speculated about that could be drawing these unknown crafts here. Uh, maybe you have missile batteries, defense, manufacturing plants, air bases, strategic oil reserves, or even homeless security complexes. Well, um, you know, uh, we're not very far from the Brownwood military operating area. We're not very far from the naval uh, air base in Fort Worth. We're just about uh, 65 miles south of there. And um, so we're accustomed to these jets flying over to get to Brownwood military operating uh, airspace. But um, I will say something that does seem uh, 
suspicious to me, and I'm not one to really be an alarmist or jump on conspiracy theories, but beginning in October, we started having a lot of flares dropped. And I've been here most of my life, and I've never seen flares. This is and October of 07, prior to the 08 January no, sightings, no? no? Uh, October of 08. Okay. After that. Okay. See, we started having some sightings pick up in October and November. And then all of a sudden, we have these um, uh, flare drops. I mean, it may be three, eight, three flares, five flares, eight flares, but we've never seen flares like this, and they were just being dropped everywhere all the time, every night. And so um, I understand, you know, okay, I guess they do training with them, but they've never done that before here. And it just seemed that maybe they would set off these flares. Um, it was almost like they knew there was something in the area, and that way they could say, oh, it was us. You know, right. we, were, we were dropping flares that night. And, and some of the sightings, you know, honest people make honest mistakes. Once I had talked to them, I knew that they were seeing flares. Um, they had just never seen them before. We don't have them in this area. It looks as if they learned from uh, the Phoenix Lights. First, they were saying there were flares, and they were not, of course, obviously. And a couple of days later, they actually were dropping what were obvious flares. In this case, so they were why, preparing. Why, why are they doing that? Plus, we have had burn bans on here, and not all of those... Uh, uh, flares function properly. Some of them that they call, uh, I think they call them fizzlers, actually really don't uh, light like they're supposed to. And then once they hit the ground, they can light up. Well, we are in a very dry, grassy area. That could be bad news for us when we're in a burn ban because we have had, you know, hundreds of acres here burn. Sure. So I'm kind of um, unhappy about them um dropping these flares when, you know, it, if, if that were to cause a grass fire, it, it, it could be, uh, you know, life-threatening here. Have you tried to get the reaction from notable Texas politicians, say a Governor, Governor Perry or Congressman Ron Paul? Mm. No, I have not tried to get responses from those people. Um. <laughs> That may be something that I, you know, I work on in the future, but um, no, I, I haven't spoken with any of them. Did you have any military or state agency interview or debrief you? Nobody debriefed me. Now, Steve Hammonds reported the harassment that you went through. What can uh -huh. you tell us more about that? Um, harassment as far as um, the newspaper? Right. Um, you know, I don't really feel that um, it, I was harassed. I just, you know, people don't realize really how small that newspaper is. I was the only full-time reporter. There was a half-time reporter and a sports writer and a paginator and the editor in the newsroom at the time. So what I was, when I wasn't able to uh, complete my duties, each day I was supposed to have 
two front page stories and I was lucky to get one done. That meant somebody else had to pick up my slack. And the story was, you know, ongoing. It, it sort of kind of was dying down and then Major Carl Lewis uh, wrote the press release that after he had said there weren't any F-16s in the area, said that they made a mistake and there were 10, it all picked back up again. And I just think um, it was too overwhelming for that small staff. Everybody pitched in for a while, and then they were just re- they were ready to get back to uh, some sort of normalcy, you know, covering school board stories or city council stories and that sort of thing. Kind of, uh, it was overwhelming for them, I think. Did you ever interview Mike Zimmerman? Yes, uh-huh. I interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Let's tell our audience who Mike Zimmerman was. He was a very credible witness. He retired from the Texas Department of Public Safety. He had provided protective detail for five Texas governors, including Governor Briscoe, Clements, White, Richards, and even Bush for a period of 19 years. What can you tell us about him and his sighting? He is a very credible witness. Um, it was early morning. Now, you may have that in front of you. I don't have it in front of me right the date. Do you have the date? I absolutely. 6.05 a.m., January 31st. Um, it was after the mass sightings, and he looked out his window from his home and uh, saw something he had never seen before. Um, since then, some people think it, you know, that what he saw was some sort of uh, uh, rare... Uh, star alignment. I've talked to him since then. He says, no, it wasn't any star that he saw. <laughs> and I um, uh, couldn't explain it. And um, he had talked to Constable uh, Leroy Gayton. Um, and uh, uh, that's how I hooked up with Mike Zimmerman was through the constable. Uh, and to this day, he still says, you know, he doesn't know what that was he saw out his window, but he's, he's certain it wasn't a star or a planet. You're referring to Leroy Gayton, right? Leroy Gayton is the one that um, introduced me to Mike Zimmerman. You know, these policemen, he was working, Mike Zimmerman was working for the Tarleton Police uh, which is the local university. So they all kind of uh, talk, and uh, he knew Leroy had seen something. He was one of the main witnesses. So uh, he told him what he had seen, and, and that's how he said, hey, I want you to talk to Angela Joyner. You can trust her, and you know she'll write it the way you say. And uh, that's how I got hooked up with Mike Zimmerman, was through Constable Gayton. Uh, and he still has a relationship with President Bush. Uh, Mr. Uh, Zimmerman lost a son in Iraq a couple of years ago, and uh, President Bush called him to offer condolences. Sorry to hear. Angela, your report on the eyewitness account of the three unnamed local police officers who also witnessed the event and actually saw a craft not merely lights, in your own words... I quote, Officer X is one of 
more is one more witness in an intriguing story not known around the world as the Stephenville Lights. Some are saying the Stephenville event is the most significant UFO sighting since the Phoenix Lights more than a decade ago. What is the difference in your opinion? Um, the difference, I think, is that we have the radar uh, data to back up these witnesses. Um, it's hard evidence. Um, these uh, police officers actually saw the craft. They didn't see just light. Just, they didn't see just lights, right. Right. And uh, one of them drove up underneath it and could even tell it had a texture to it. It was like a heavy uh, um, tarp-like texture. And um, it was very uh, uh, low to the ground. This thing was, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, he, they even did a sketch, a computer sketch. Uh, it had the color of this kind of a drab green color, uh, lights on the top, lights on the bottom um, that, uh, that uh, blinked. And then uh, they described how this thing pivoted up on its end. Um, they had a lot of detail. Um, it's still my goal to maybe help Officer X someday be feel comfortable enough to uh, come forward with his name. Um, he's afraid that it would affect his job or it could affect his job, and uh, that's why he doesn't use his name. That was my next question. Have these three men also faced job threats or intimidation? Well, I don't think they have because most don't know who they are. But um, Officer X pointed out to me that because he is called to court to testify in cases he's involved with, that a defense lawyer would try to discredit him by going, oh, yeah, and weren't you the officer that saw the UFO on January the 8th and make him look bad to a jury? And he said if he could not um, testify at court, then, um, you know, he, his, uh, his job um, as in that respect would, be, would become useless. Sure. So... I can understand that, and I could see how a defense lawyer would try those tactics. Apparently nothing was recorded on their police cameras or cell phones. They say they, could, they couldn't reposition their car cams, but they used their radar guns to lock on? Weren't they Officer concerned? Did. Yes, Officer X used his radar gun and clocked the thing going at 27 miles per hour, which... That's one of the things he, that caught his attention because this thing was kind of hovering there and it was so large, it should have fallen from the sky, he thought. Exactly. It's impossible for uh, an airplane to remain in flight at that slow uh, velocity. And that's why he put the radar gun on it just to see, you know, exactly. And it was a good lock, he said. He knew he, it was. He knew it was a good lock. Twenty-seven miles per hour. He was thinking, "What? How does this thing stay up in the air?" Exactly. Were they interviewed by military or homeland security or higher police or state authorities, or just because they're anonymous right now, nothing has happened? Right. That you're aware. Of? I think because they're anonymous, nothing has happened. Well, as they say, one door closes and another one opens. Something tells me many doors are opening for you, and you are one of the few remaining true journalists out there, and we need you. 
Um, one last question. I just saw a video from uh, just a few days ago reported by the local news regarding another sighting in Stephenville. Are you aware of it? Um, in Walnut Springs, we had a young man capture uh, something on video. Is that what you're referring to? That's correct. It's the, the orange orb, I believe. Right. Matt Collins is his name, 20 years old, um, and his family uh, witnessed uh, something on the nights of January 29th and January 31st. And I did travel to Walnut Springs and interview him, and I have seen this film and photos, and they are interesting. I'm not, um, I have no idea what it is again, but uh, uh, he has seen uh, these bright lights in the sky with a red center, but the outside of the lights change colors from red to orange to white. And um, they're they're quite large, about thirty degrees off the horizon. Well, Angela, we have come to the end because I know you have to uh, you have uh, some prior commitments. Keep up the good work, and I hope we can definitely stay in touch. Thanks for being with the Veritas Show. Okay, thank you, Mel. I've enjoyed it. I'm Angela Joyner. I can handle the truth, and I'm ready for disclosure. Bye bye. 